Good morning, everyone. Thanks, Mike, for reading that passage for us. Uh, what are we going to make of that today? Well, let's ask God first and, and, and come to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And it is able to make us wise for salvation. It's able to grow us to maturity in Christ. It's able to help us get perspective on life and so much more. What a precious gift you've given us. Help us as we seek to understand this last chapter or two of Daniel. Uh, give us wisdom. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might not just understand it, but also put what we learn into practice. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to the last chapters of this uh, study in the book of Daniel. And uh, we're looking at these final visions of Daniel. And this one is the last one of four. Visions that God gives him of the future. You know, God is so gracious. He not only tells us in advance what will happen... He also shows us the spiritual realities that lie behind what's happening, the cosmic sort of battle, as we've seen last week in the heavenly realms. In chapter 1, we meet Daniel as a 14-year-old boy, but now he's an old man in his late 80s. As a 14-year-old, he decided, come what may, not to do anything that displeases God. And now at 86 or 87, he's still living with that same resolve. And here in the third year of Cyrus's reign in Babylon, Daniel gives himself to prayer, as we saw last week in, in chapter 10. And an angel appears to him by the river Tigris and gives him a vision into the spiritual realm. A curtain is pulled back for a moment and Daniel gets a glimpse into the unseen world, doesn't he, of spiritual beings and spiritual warfare. Why is Daniel given this vision? So he might be encouraged and the exiles might be encouraged. See, we're so loved by God that angels go to war for us. But as we saw last week, even more than that, we're so loved by God that God sent his son to die on a cross, winning a decisive battle over the forces of evil to save us from sin and to give us life. And now in chapter, chapters 11 and 12, God shows Daniel the broad sweep of history to come. Daniel sees key milestones in history over the next 400 years in chapter 11. And then he sees right into the very distant future, right to the end of the world. God always tells us beforehand what's going to happen. And what is this theme of this sweep through history? Well, Daniel chapter 10 verse 1 tells us this, and this is what it says, its message was true and it concerned a great war. There's a great cosmic war that's going on behind the visible, what we can see behind the visible of our world, and that spills over into the visible of our world. And in chapter 11, we, we didn't read it this morning, it's too long, uh, we see how that plays out on earth in history, and we'll just do a little brief summary of chapter 11. Verses 2 to 4, there's a slide there which uh, depicts it a little bit. Uh, verses 2 to 4 tells us about the conflicts between kings and kingdoms over the next 400 years from Daniel's time. Verse 2, from the kings of the Persian Empire, 
You see them listed there. And especially that last one, the powerful King Xerxes. And then verse 3, followed by the ruthless Alexander the Great. And when he disappears, the divided kingdom ruled by four of his generals. And then in verse 5 to 20, we read about a series of betrayals and failed marriages and alliances and backstabbing. And you can trace that all in the history of the time. And that's on the second slide there. But if you look at these verses in chapter 11, you'll notice this little word, but, repeated over and over. Verse 5, but one of his commanders will become stronger. Verse 6, but she will not retain her power. Verse 11, but his large army will be defeated. Verse 17, but his plans will not succeed. And it's a constant refrain through that part of the text. And it's an illustration, isn't it, of the theme of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, wars and rumours of wars, and nothing to show for it at the end of the day. It's a picture of permanent conflict and elusive peace. And it's still the same today, isn't it, friends? Just watch the news. Permanent conflict, elusive peace. And it reminds us not to put our trust in princes or presidents or prime ministers. They will fail you. They will disappoint you. We put our trust in God. And then in verses 21 to 35 of chapter 11, the focus moves from the conflict between the north and the south to one king called a contemptible person. Who is that king? Well, it's Antiochus Epiphanes, who ruled Judea for just 10 years, a very short reign. But he was particularly hostile to God's people and to God himself, defiling the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar and also erecting in the temple an altar to Zeus. He persecuted the people of God. And more than that, he actually showed favor on those who turned away from God and uh, joined his rule and embraced his rule. So look at just one verse, one or two verses from chapter 11, verse 28. His heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it, verse 29. He will show favour to those who forsake the holy covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish daily sacrifice. And that whole episode reminds us, as God's people, to be ready. This world is not our home. We are aliens here. We will be opposed and persecuted. See, the real danger for the Jews then and for us is not persecution but compromise. To buckle under that persecution and to turn our backs on God and, and actually join this reign of terror as some Jews did in that day. And verse 32 of chapter 11 tells us some of God's people stood firm and others folded to make peace with the dictator. He seduced them and they compromised. So as Christians, we need to be ready. The pressure on us can be subtle. You know, you can be ignored. Uh, you can be on the outer. You can lose work, status, friends. Be ready for that pressure. Be ready to stand alone, as Daniel did. And from verse 36 onward, Daniel 11 describes the great sweep of history then to the end and tells us, tells us of a diabolical king to come, the Antichrist. What is he like? Well, he worships war and violence, verse 38 and 39. He attacks God's people, 
verse 36. He exalts himself as God, verse 36 and 37. And these are the characteristics of the Antichrist. It's the heart of all man's rebellion against God. I will be God. And to see it in people, and even to see it in our own hearts, is diabolical. It's from the depths of hell itself. I want to be God. I magnify myself as God. But we need not fear this time of the Antichrist, because right at the end of that chapter, notice in verse 45, the yet. Notice the yet in verse 45. It says, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Just like that, he's gone. Just like all the other kings and kingdoms, he's gone. And that reality gives us perspective, doesn't it? It helps us to be prepared. It helps us not to compromise and it helps us not to be afraid. God is in charge. But now the question comes, how will it all end? We've heard over and over in Daniel that God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and his purposes can't be thwarted and he is for his people. So where's it all going? How does it all end? Millions of are oblivious aren't they, around us about how it all ends. But here in Daniel 12... We're clearly told about it. The end is mentioned here three times in verse 4, 19 and 13. So let's have a look at this text in chapter 12. Two points to focus on how it all ends and how we should live in the light of that. Firstly, Daniel 12 tells us how it ends. How does a human story end up? Well, Daniel 11, as we've heard, tells us about uh, the Antichrist figure that will come who is ferociously evil and blasphemous and uh, the people of God will wonder if they can survive his onslaught. And they will ask, will we make it to the end? Will we persevere? Will there be anyone left when all this is over? What will happen? Well, Daniel 12 tells us it'll be a fearful time. Look at verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will rise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until now. Until then. The persecution of God's people towards the end will be like nothing ever seen before. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's just the Old Testament. What about the New Testament where things are a bit nicer? Well, read Mark 13 and Matthew 24. Jesus himself says, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. And Paul says to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 1, In these last days there will be terrible times, especially for God's people. And here in Daniel we're told that immediately before Jesus' return, it will be more intense than ever. Now, that's very alarming, isn't it? But notice the point of verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. Michael is a powerful angel sent by God to protect God's people. And who are they? We'll look at verse 1 again, the second part. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. And so the question is, if God has this book of life as he does, is your name in it? They're the ones who are protected. They're the ones who will be saved. See, if you make a reservation at a restaurant and you rock up and you find your name is not written down, it's a little bit embarrassing and maybe a bit inconvenient and awkward. 
But the point is, I don't want to stand before God one day and have him say, I have no record of your name. Is your name written in that book? In Acts 16, you find this lady, Lydia. She's a really nice lady and she has a nice job and a nice house and a nice attitude and uh, good at hospitality and she's very interested in God. But her name is not written in the book. What changed for her? Well, Luke tells us that the Lord opened her heart and she believed. That's when her name was written in the book. So the great security for God's people in the face of severe persecution at the end or in any area is this. Their names are written in the book and they are protected and delivered. God knows their names. He knows them personally. He will deliver them all. As the chorus puts it, he knows my name, he knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls. He hears me when I call. The end will be a fearful time. And we know that during this time, Daniel tells us that both good and evil will flourish. Look at verse 10. My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. You know, sometimes we have the idea, don't we, that as we get closer to the end, things will get better and better, and more of the world, as more of the world is sort of Christianized, and when things have improved enough, Jesus will come back. And yes, we pray and preach and live to that end, don't we? But Daniel and the rest of the Bible tells us this is not going to happen. Yes, many will come to Christ. Praise God. But the wicked will also continue to be wicked. Jesus, in his parable of the wheat and the weeds, tells us the same thing. The wheat and the weeds, of course, are people, and uh, the, wise, the, the wheat are the wise who trust God. The weeds are the wicked who reject God. And God told Satan after the fall, right at the beginning of the Bible, I'll put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, and you will crush his heel, and, she, and she, he will crush your head. In other words, there's this colossal struggle, isn't there, between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the evil one. The offspring of the woman are the wise who honour... Sorry, I just turned this off. The wise who honour God, and the offspring... Of the evil one are the wicked who reject God. And the good news of the gospel is that the offspring of the woman crushes the evil one. When did it happen? Well, when Jesus went to that cross 2,000 years ago to pay for sin, he defeated Satan and all the powers of evil. But the point is there's this ongoing conflict between the wise and the wicked, right down through history. And Daniel is telling us here this conflict continues. There's a conflict in the world as the gospel is preached and people are saved. And it will intensify towards the end. And right at the end, it'll seem like God's people are powerless. And the Antichrist is the upper hand as he sets out in a great rage, chapter 11, verse 44, to destroy and annihilate many. Luther comments on this. He's saying, he says... There may come a time when pulpits or, or preaching is completely silenced and the preservation of the church is in the hand of the, f hand of the fathers within their own families. 
good reminder, fathers, isn't it? Are we uh, leading our families spiritually at home? That might sound a bit bizarre to us here in Australia in 2021, but not in North Korea, not in some places in the Middle East, not in mainline, mainline China in the 30s when Mao Zedong sort of set out to eradicate the church in his cultural revolution. The end will be a fearful time. Good and evil will both flourish and it will culminate in a final separation. Verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. The Bible tells us that everything and everyone is going somewhere. And we're told that there will be a great division, not by race or by colour, or by gender, or by politics, or by class, or any of the many ways we humans love to divide people. No, the only distinction the Bible knows is whether you bow the knee to Jesus as Saviour and Lord or not, whether your name is written in that book or not. And in a few short years, I will die, and so will you. It's guaranteed, but we have eternity in our hearts. See, we're not just... We're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. Your uniqueness is not just external. Your soul is the essence of your being and it'll return to God. And Daniel tells us here that at the end of time, there will be a bodily resurrection and a final separation, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so the question comes to us, of course, as we read this, in this final separation, where will you be? Raised to everlasting life or raised to everlasting contempt and shame? And that depends on how you live your life now. See, at the end of, the time, at the end of time, when the clock stops and the film stops rolling, you'll be left, left, left with whatever destiny you've chosen for yourself. You will reap what you have sowed. Remember, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said... Uh, what must I do to have eternal life? How can I be accepted by God? And Jesus said to him, well, mate, you, you're worshipping wealth instead of me. Give it all away. Come follow me. Put me first. And the rich young ruler turned away sad. He couldn't do it. What if the film stopped for him then? He would have been petrified in his attitude of turning away from Christ for all eternity. And what if the film stops for you today? What attitude will you be petrified in? Have you been saying, keep your distance, Jesus? Don't come too close. Don't intrude on my life, it's mine. Don't you see you're actually making your future now? What did Joseph say to the angel at Jesus' birth? What's his name again? Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So all who look to him and believe shall have everlasting life. And our destiny will depend on our attitude to Jesus. And our attitude to Jesus is revealed in how we live. And that brings me to the second point. Daniel 12 tells us how to land, and secondly, in light of that, how we should live. How should we live? Well, 
Live wisely, not foolishly. Look at verses 3 and 4. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. People everywhere are searching for truth, aren't they, while leaving God out of the picture? There's been an explosion of knowledge in our world over the last few decades. How are we doing? How's humanity doing with this explosion of knowledge in terms of hatred, in terms of wars between nations, in terms of man's inhumanity? It's a tragic picture, isn't it? Man has traded the truth of God for a lie and is looking everywhere for a solution which only God can give. But God's people, those who are wise, see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? Will shine like stars and lead many to righteousness. Two men, both the same age, lived at the same time in the same country, both well-known, gifted speakers. One was D.L. Moody, the evangelist, and the other was Robert Ingersoll, the agnostic. And they lived pretty much parallel lives, one preaching the gospel, other lecturing on unbelief. They both died in 1899. D.L. Moody had a Thanksgiving service and there was songs and joy and thankfulness to God. Robert Ingersoll's memorial service, there was an advance notice published saying, there will be no singing. There was nothing to sing about and no one to sing to. The wise fear the Lord and their witness, even under severe pressure, leads others to righteousness. They will shine like the brightness of heaven, like stars forever and ever. Is that what your life is about? Isn't that a wonderful picture of what life is for Christians? Is it about Jesus? Is it about his cross and his mission and his glory? See, as God's people, we need to live by faith, not by sight. Look at verse 6b. How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and half a time. When the power of the holy people is finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. See, the man clothed in linen is introduced to us back in, in chapter 10, an angelic messenger from God. And Daniel asks him the question, well, how long will it be? And the angel basically tells Daniel it's a mystery. It'll be for a time, times, and a half a time. In other words, it'll be an extended time. You think it's for a time, but there'll be more times and then another half a time after that. But no one knows the day or the hour. So it's a mystery. But at the same time, it's an absolute certainty when the power of the holy people is broken, all these things will be completed. God will see to it. He will intervene, as he has many times before in history, in the exodus in Egypt, in the conquest of the promised land, in the exile and the return from exile, in sending his son to die on a cross. He will certainly put things right, come to put things right. Think about it. Either we live in a random universe... And our world is completely chaotic with absolutely no purpose or what the Bible tells us is right. We live in a world ruled by a sovereign God who exists outside of time but intervenes in time to achieve his purposes. This is what we believe. It's what the Bible tells us. And so we live by faith, not by sight. 
What do we see? What's our sight before the end? Fierce persecution of God's people. The power of the holy people broken at their most helpless and hopeless. What do we believe? This will be a sign that the end will come, that Jesus will certainly come to destroy all evil and redeem his people. John and Betty Stam were two young missionaries from the Bible Moody Institute, the Moody Bible Institute, who went to China in the 1930s. John was just 27, Betty was 28. They were taken captive by the Red Army and finally beheaded, leaving behind their little three-month-old girl who was sort of lost for two days at the time. And if you'd asked Christians in China at the time, could it ever get any worse than this? They would say, no, this must be the end. It wasn't, not yet, but it's the sort of thing that will happen towards the end and already in the, tw uh, the 20th century has seen more martyrs than the rest of Christian history and the 21st century is, is uh, shaping up uh, just the same, maybe worse. On the February the 15th, 2015, members of IS beheaded 20 Coptic Christians, plus one from Ghana, on a beach in Sirta, Libya. Most of the slain men hailed from a poor village in Upper Egypt and were working in Libya to send money home to support their families. During their 43-day captivity, in which they were tortured, their captors ordered them daily to recite the Islamic Shahada, I declare there is no other God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. Each day the captives refused. Just before they were executed, the martyrs were heard softly but boldly declaring in Arabic, Ya Rabbi Yeshua, O Lord Jesus. While the world watched a barbaric massacre, they also heard a verbal testimony of Christian faith amid severe persecution. What did they see? the execution of their fellow believers. What did they believe? Jesus is Lord. That's from uh, the Gospel Coalition. Your preparation for a martyr begins now. That <laughs> is the title of the article. See, being a man or woman of faith doesn't mean you understand everything. Daniel doesn't and he says so. But he trusts God and he believes his word and he lives by faith, not by sight. So how do we live in these last days? Well, wisely, not foolishly, by faith, not by sight, and go on waiting for the Lord. Now, I've got to say, I have no idea what those numbers mean in the last few verses, 1,290 days and 1,335 days. There's a lot of debate from scholars about what they could be. But they're obviously symbolic and they're referring to the, the time between the first and second coming of Christ. That's all I can really tell you. There's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down to explore that. But, uh, but the general idea is clear. Look at verses 12 to 13. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest and then at the end of days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. In other words, God is saying to Daniel, I've told you everything you need to know. The rest will be re revealed at the end of time. Go your way, live your life serving God and wait on him. What an encouragement that is for Daniel, this whole chapter. For all who will endure to the end, you will die, you will rise. I have a place for you. The best is yet to come. Wait and see. 
And we have the hope of glory in our hearts, don't we? Well, let me finish. What is your destiny? Do you know? Daniel knew his destiny, didn't he? He lived that destiny. He lived with God. He resolved as a young teenager not to defile himself with the king's food, to please God in everything, no matter what the cost. Now, many of you have professed your faith in Christ, but are you living out your destiny? See, your destiny is not determined by the words you speak so much, but by the reality of your life. Is it facing towards Christ or is it facing away from Christ? Think about your life. Which way is it facing? Are you resolved to please him who died on the cross for you, who clothes you with his righteousness and who gives you eternal life? Are you so overwhelmed by his grace that you want to live for him and see others saved? Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What's your destiny? May God, by his spirit, help us to die to self and to live for him and seek first his kingdom. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Daniel, for the encouragement we have received from being reminded again that you rule this world and your plans will never fail, even when evil seems to flourish. Thank you that Christ has defeated the forces of evil once and for all on the cross, so we need not fear the future. Thank you that all your people are fully protected and will endure to the end. Fill us today with your Holy Spirit that we might live wisely, trusting all the promises of your word and waiting patiently for the hope that we have. And Lord, for those here who don't know you, help them to see you as you are, the loving creator God who saves and seeks a relationship with his creatures. May they come to see you in Christ who died for the forgiveness of their sins and give them life to the full. We praise and thank you for such a great salvation, Lord, and we give you all the glory for you do all things well. In Jesus' name we pray it.